Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 72 of Maximize Your Influence. Steve Olson here with Kurt Mortensen on a very rainy day, but that means it's snowing in the mountains and raining in the valleys, which we will take. I We get this thing here called the inversion, where the air gets trapped, and the smoggy air gets trapped in the valleys, and it's just disgusting, and it's horrible for your breathing. And I flew in yesterday, Kurt, and you know when you come in that thing from above, you're like, where am I going? <laughs> this is gross. So... The rain's here, clearing it out, but it's a, a gloomy day. Nonetheless, we are happy to be here with you. We've got a, a pretty fun episode today, don't we, Kurt? Yeah, we're going to go talk a little more about blunders and presentation skills and things that I think pretty much all of us are guilty of. Yeah, we're all guilty of, and you've all seen them. They're really fun to see other people do, not so fun when you do them, which I have. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, uh, I think you all have too. So we're going to try to cut down on that, try to make you better presenters. So you're going to be presenting to individuals, to groups, on the phone, webinars. It's all over the place. I mean, you can't turn on the radio these days without hearing ads for go-to webinar or some kind of a web conferencing software. I was speaking to a group of 15 people over the weekend, and we're always doing it. We're always doing it. So if you want to get any kind of big results, you've got to be good at presenting to large groups of people. But before we get on that, Kurt, what's up? What is going on? It's the new year. Things are going well there. I've got some travel plans to, to Florida and Chicago, which are two very different areas. And you are in Portland, which is the prettiest place on earth when the sun's out. But I don't <laughs> yeah. think the sun came. Did the sun come out at all? It certainly did not. <laughs> <laughs> That's the challenge here. My wife's from the Northwest, and you mentioned inversions and, and snow. And it has been quite gloomy lately, but the sunshine's nice. So you didn't probably have any sunshine at all. Not even a oh. peak. No, not even a peak. It was just gloomy and, and gross the whole time I was there. But it, it's pretty. You're right. I mean, Portland's beautiful. Seattle's beautiful. Is there any, a better place than Seattle in late August? I take my family to the coast. You notice I said coast. See, people, I got it right. In the Northwest, they don't have the beach where I'm from, <laughs> California. It is the coast. So we go to the coast and hang out for a week in August, which is about perfect. The sun gets out. It's not necessarily... Always swimsuit weather, but we go crabbing and have fun and hang out on the beach. And one of the favorite things for my family to do. Yeah, bring some back for me this year. You tell me about your deadliest catch <laughs> trips to Oregon every year, and, and I have yet to see any. So I'm not entirely sure you actually do it. Well, I'll, do, I'm, I'll take pictures this time because the challenge is the seals steal your bait. And you have to fight off the seals for these crabs, which is gets interesting and that's a whole other story in itself. Do you use those traps like they do on deadliest catch, or how do you catch them? No, they're, they're similar to those. You put a fish on the bottom of one, a dead fish, and you put it down, and then when you lift it up, the sides come up, and the water pressure holds the crabs in, so it's a little bit different because these other ones have little trap doors that they go into. This just uses water pressure. Oh, okay, okay. I had the kids at SeaWorld this summer, and we were at the exhibit where they have the seals, and you can buy sardines and throw them to the seals. <laughs> and the guy tells me, he's like, okay, be careful. There's seagulls, and they're pretty aggressive. You got to get that sardine into the water. Right. And I was like, yeah, whatever. So I'm, I'm showing my daughter, I'm like, see, here's how you do it. And I'm holding the sardine out above the tank. And then all of a sudden a seagull comes out of nowhere, like a dive bomber and snatches the sardine right out of my hand. 
thinking these guys are crazy. You could throw them if you threw them at too high on arc. These seagulls, they're like Patriot missiles. They come in and they just get them right out of the air before the seals can get to them. It's crazy. Oh, they're good. We used to throw things up in the air at the beach in California, and they would catch things in the air. Just They'd catch a whole hot dog and eat it. Wow. <laughs> just amazing. <laughs> like, how do you do that? And how did we get on a hot dog seagull eating tangents is what I want to know. <laughs> yeah, we get on some tangents, but this one is one of the more interesting ones. Well, I don't know if it's interesting. I mean, yeah. I can hear our downloads well, plummeting. Got to talk about food, but, you know. Well, seagulls eating hot dogs. I guess you can check the box. It's not impressive, but you can check that box. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this is going badly. We better get on something people care about. And, and you know what we can do? We've got a geeky article moment. Cue up Urkel. Go, Urkel. <laughs> and I've got the geeky article moment today. Oh, I know. Teach us. I know. I can't say that that's going to happen. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> I will talk. But this is an interesting article from Newser, and I love Newser. It's a great app you can put on your phone, and they, they distill the main news stories for the day into like two paragraphs. So in five minutes, you know what's going on in the world, and you're, you're depressed after you read it. So <laughs> this one is go. an interesting article about a restaurant in your old stomping grounds. Pittsburgh, who did mm. not make the playoffs this year. Oh, uh, that was hurtful, number one. And to my friends, we call it it's the Berg. It's not it's the Berg. Oh, the Berg. Yeah, okay. thank you. Get it right. Oh, okay. sorry. <laughs> well, well, the Broncos are out, and the Colts I know, are that in. Was Go amazing. Colts. I did not predict that one, but they did not look good. They certainly did not. They did not in the Cowboys. Oh, and most people are overjoyed. I'm a closet Cowboy fan, and so... Oh, don't reveal that. You will lose. We'll lose downloads on that one for sure. We already tanked the downloads on the secret yeah. hot dog. Right. So, it <laughs> right? so there is a restaurant in the Berg, as I'm told, mm-hmm. and they have banned tips. You cannot tip servers at this restaurant. They instead are going to give all of their servers a flat thirty-five thousand dollars a year in salary, and they're going to give health care and paid vacation along with this. So here's the question, and I want your opinion on this because we have not talked about this yet. Are the servers going to do a better or a worse job, or is it going to stay the same? Well, one question before I answer this. Is this a high-end restaurant or a low-end restaurant? Do you know? It looks like it's kind of a a mid-range type Mm. restaurant. I would probably compare it to like an Applebee's type joint, but it's local. Well, I'm going to say obviously the worse. There's no incentive. Human beings need to be incentivized, and that's why – commission and tips are such a powerful thing. In fact, if I had my way, I'd put every profession on commission because I think that would dramatically improve what we do and how we treat people and not going through the motions. In fact, I come from a whole line of school teachers and I've been trying to convince them that we put school teachers on commission. And they love that, right? <laughs> oh man, they get mad. They get angry. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They're like, what about this? And I'm like, no, you test them going in, you test them going out, whatever that difference is. There's your money. You want to make 20 a year, you make 100 a year. That's how you fix the school system. Now, I know you're going to get angry and upset, and the listeners are going to, what about this and that? But think about it. There's something about commission. When you're paid for performance, it does amazing things to the human psyche. And I'm a big believer in it. You got to get stuff done. You really do. I was talking to a group of real estate investors over the weekend in Portland, and I was explaining to them because they all had jobs that this is purely results oriented right? You don't get paid to do the work. You get paid for results. So if your work is poor, the pay is going to be accordingly. And to, to a few of those in the audience, that was like revolutionary and <laughs> quite scary to some of them too, but that's how it is. I'll read to you from this 
what they're doing in this restaurant in Pittsburgh, and you can tell me more. Uh, a Pittsburgh restaurant's policy change is, has Eater, that's a food critic place, wondering whether tips will become a thing of the past in the restaurant industry. Starting in April, Bar Marco, that's the name of the place, will stop accepting tips and start paying its full-time servers thirty five grand a year plus benefits unusual for the restaurant world. Healthcare, paid vacation, vacation, and shares in the company. It won't add a service fee to the bill or otherwise raise prices to pay for the switch. All of our current employees have seen and approved the contract, says co-owner Robert Fry. They'll have a lot of responsibilities too, like being president bi-monthly finance meetings. We want complete transparency. We want people who want to be a part of what we're doing. The Tribune Review talk, talks to a Bar Marco bartender happy with the move who predicts that workers will stay in their jobs longer because of the stability. The establishment isn't the first to implement a no-tip policy, and a San Diego restaurateur explains why he thinks it makes sense, and that links to another article. I kind of change my mind a little bit when I hear that they get shares in the company because maybe then they do care about what they're actually accomplishing. Yeah, that, that changes a lot because now there's ownership, there's future potential, they want people long-term. And on the flip side, that's a great thing if they're taken care of that way. But then on the other hand, too, we've always had the server that expects a tip but doesn't get performance. And do you tip them? Do you not tip them? They expect it, but they don't deserve it. And that puts the eater in an awkward position sometimes. And so it would be nice to go to a restaurant where you don't have to tip and had really great service and didn't have to worry about it. So for the consumer, I can see a lot of benefits there, too. You know what's funny? Have you ever noticed, though, at restaurants, if it's a local place, when you get the really – really awesome service. Sometimes it is from a great server, but usually it's the owner or the manager was on duty or filling in or something, and they don't get tips, right? So it's usually somebody who has a stake in the overall performance of the business that ends up doing the best for you. Yeah, like the owner, the manager, someone has a lot of ownership, accountability, definitely makes a big difference as far as how you're treated. Yeah, definitely does. Definitely does. So the fact that they gave ownership is great. It's going to prevent this restaurant trend from turning into, you know, a bunch of glorified post offices or whatever, DMV restaurants. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> oh, would, wow. Wow. <laughs> That's all I had to say. That was wow. I don't, we won't even go into that, that one at all. Yeah, just, oh, wow. Okay, <laughs> so, so let's move on with the show today. And we, we have an interesting show, a little bit of a shift in the format, because the show is also The Blunder, which means you need to queue up Homer. Okay, Homer, give us the blunder. Don't, don't, don't! There he is, Homer, and from what I understand, the final episode of The Simpsons coming up sometime next month, which they had a good run. Good call, guys. Yeah, you get to draw cartoons and uh, make fun of things for, I don't know, 30 years or 25 years or something, and uh, Bart and Homer and the crew never got older, but uh, nobody cared. We kept watching. <laughs> so the reason we queued up the blunder is because we are going to talk about presentation blunders today, a few of the main blunders that people commit. And some of them are directly related to persuasion. Others are kind of a little branch of it, um, you being competent in how you run your presentation. And the reason we want to talk about these is because we're going to have a contest. We are going to have a contest. So Ooh, I like contests. That's right. And I'm going to summarize the contest. Once I have screwed that up, you can correct me, okay? Okay. So, what we've got here is we want you to submit your presentation of your product. And now if it's an hour and a half long technical, you know, I do software upgrades for hospital x-ray machines. Okay, you got to dumb it down a little. All right. But we want you a five, 10 minute presentation on your product and why we should buy it. And of course, if we're not the kind of people that want your product, just assume we are. We can 
put ourselves in those shoes. And to the winner of the contest, you get a full year subscription for free to universityofpersuasion.com, which you, you should go to universityofpersuasion.com if you have not already, because even a full year membership is practically free. It's easy. But we are going to give one away. And everybody that submits their presentation to us also gets a private critique. We will email you and say, hey, we watched your presentation. Do this, do that. You did a great job here. You're great over here, but this one needs work, right? Then you're going to find out what you're made of. And this is something that I always ask for and, and Kurt always asks for. You've got to have somebody look at your presentation and evaluate where you are because you slide back into these habits that you've always had, don't you, Kurt? I mean, if you don't have somebody on top of this for you, you find yourself diverting back to old things. Yeah, it's amazing. That's why you're always watching or listening you're these videos, these audios, because it's something that I fixed two years ago, took care of it, crossed it off the list, and then all of a sudden, it's back. It's back. <laughs> like, oh, man, and that's part of being professional. And so I would encourage, it could be an audio if you want or a video, something you have. You can maybe have it on file. Maybe you need to create it. But we're willing to critique you. We've watched thousands of presentations, and there's a certain formula with presentations that we can help you out. We'll give you feedback. We'll walk you through it, help you out, and it'll make a huge difference in what you're able to do. We can dramatically help you with your close rates. So what are we going to do? Are we going to set up a Dropbox or an upload link? I forget how we were going to do that. Let's do a, a Dropbox type thing on uh, just the website where you download it to where you can upload the file. We'll take a look at it. We won't name names next week, but we'll give you great feedback not only to the podcast, but to one-on-one -on -one and help you out to make sure you can fine-tune that presentation because it's the big piece of your success in what you do. Okay, okay. So what you'll need to do, everybody, is go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com. That's the main site because I know many of you get the podcast via iTunes and Stitcher and you never actually go to the site because you don't need to. But you're going to have to if you want to participate in the contest. MaximizeYourInfluence.com and just scroll like halfway down the page and you'll see episode 72 with uh, our ugly mugs off to the side. But you'll have episode 72 and you can click on that and it will have all the, the, the text for the episode or at least our summary. And that is where you will find the link to upload your presentation. So, Kurt... There are a few things that a lot of people do that really screw up their presentations. Let's get those out. Those are the blunders for the day so that uh, hopefully the listeners can avoid those when they upload the presentations for their contest. One of the great things I get to do is interview the audience after they've watched a presentation, get the real feedback. And let's talk about a few of those blunders. Before I do, I just want to quote Napoleon Hill. Hopefully you know who he is, author of Think and Grow Rich. He says, think twice before you speak because your words and influence will plant the seed of either success or failure in the mind of another. And let me add to that, probably in the first 30 seconds. And presentations is huge. So let's go over a few blunders that we all make mistakes, we all need to work on, we need, all need to understand what's going on. But the first one is distracting mannerisms, meaning in your voice or in your nonverbal behavior, you're doing things that distract from you, your message, your credibility. In fact, if you get really nervous, you could be doing things that cause your audience to think that you're deceiving them, that you're lying, even though you're telling 100% the truth. So you need to take a look at this. Anything that's distracting from your arm movements to swaying to your vocal fillers to the tone of your voice to your inflection, I mean, we could spend a whole episode on that. But you have to think, 
things that you're doing that are taking away from your message, a big complaint from the audience because a simple thing, for example, like vocal fillers, it's like a knife stabbing you every time for those people that use so many of them and they don't even know they're doing it. But I don't have any distracting mannerisms. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we all have them. We all use them. We can all think we're doing okay. But really, we could all fine-tune and change and adjust. So I know it's painful to listen to an audio or watch that video. And first of all, yes, your voice does sound like that, but that's a whole other episode. That's what you sound like. Get used to it. But take a look at your gestures. And if you're looking at your gestures, maybe fast-forward the video a little bit, and you can see if you're gesturing too much, too little, how you're gesturing. Are you doing anything that takes away from your message? I say this is a big one, and we don't even know we're doing it because we're so concerned about the – the message to remember what we're saying that we don't realize all the nonverbal messages we're sending to the audience. Yeah, and that's a big reason why you should actually do the contest, right? Because Kurt and I will look at that, we'll listen to your presentation. You, you'll be able to upload an audio or a video, whatever you want, and we'll be able to tell you, hey, this was this was distracting. Because the good news is, is we've never met you, right? We're getting a legitimate first impression here, and we can tell you what we think. So. That's important. Even if you don't do that, get somebody, somebody to rate that and look for distracting mannerisms for you. I, I remember, Kurt, when you were teaching me many years ago how to do public speaking. The listeners don't know this. I actually was in one of Kurt's public speaking classes at the, at the university. So that, uh, that's not how we met, but I was in his class. And I remember for part of the pitch that I was learning, you would just close your eyes. You wouldn't even look at me. You wanted to just tune in onto the words that I was saying and how I was saying them and what was distracting from there. And then other times you would kind of just muffle your ears and watch me. And, you know, you try to separate those two things. So there are definitely distracting verbal habits that we get into and physical habits as well. So I think that's a really good tip and keep that in mind when you send in your uh, video for the contest. What else should they watch out for? What's another classic Homer Simpson, horrible, dull blunder? <laughs> Well, for persuasive presentations, and remember, there's a, anybody can give a great presentation, but if it's not persuasive, it doesn't really matter. And one of the reasons that's not, especially in a business-type situation, we focus on the logic and the data and the facts, which you need to have, but they miss out on the emotion, and it's the emotions that sway people's feelings, that influence people, that make a huge difference in what we do. And so we just want to go over the data and the logic and this, and this is why we should do it. It's a no-brainer. But if you don't add the emotional component, because as humans, we're emotional creatures, you're not going to grab their heart, and they're not going to do anything, and you're not going to be influential. Right, right. So what kind of emotional appeal can we make to them? And that needs to be packaged with some logic. You can't have 100% of just one of those. You've got to have <laughs> well, If you both. can fall to your knees and start crying and go, please, 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 <laughs> might be beneficial. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe not. Scratch that one off. That was, I was kidding. But anyway, when you can add simple things like impactful emotional stories, influential, charismatic people, every time, great stories, they just resonate the point. And we've talked about this before. Stories persuade without detection. But you need to make sure with your data, your facts, you have some type of emotional connection and some type of story that just resonates with your audience that illustrates that point. That brings a great amount of emotion to your message. This is fresh on my mind, but I, I have, when I teach a workshop to investors, this to get this point across, when, when you're purchasing real estate at a discount, it's all about follow-up and zeroing in on an area that you want to market to because 
the people that sell properties for a discount do it because they have something happen in their life that makes it so they've got to do it now and they've got to do it fast. And so I try to illustrate that point to people of, hey, really be on top of your market. And that's true, but it's just not a very powerful point that's going to resonate with them. So I tell this big, elaborate fly fishing story where I was in Montana standing in this river and the guide had me cover this particular area and it was going to be a long time, but when a big fish was ready to eat, I was going to be the guy, right? And I, of course, do it much better than I just did there. And everybody leans forward in their seat, their eyes open, they're listening, they're smiling, they're nodding because it, it takes them there. And then after I get done telling them that, I say, you have to be just like that with the area that you're marketing to. And the point just gets hammered home so effectively. They get it, and they're always going to remember it because of the story. That's the power that stories bring. It not only brings in the emotional element, it's easy to understand, but they are going to remember it forever. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, we've got the, the story, the, the emotional side of things. Then what? The next one is the no call to action, no close. People are going, okay, that was nice. Thank you. And if you're a presenter, people say, great presentation. Thank you. But they didn't do what you asked them to do. You've got some call to action issues. You've got some closing issues. And a lot of people just don't know. You've got to have a succinct call to action. Your audience, it should be a no-brainer. They should know exactly what you want them to do. It's part of your presentation. And the biggest blunder here that most people make with their presentations is, when you create a presentation, you create the call to action first. You don't deliver it first. You create it first in your whole presentation, the stories, the facts, the logics. Everything you do is pointing to that call to action so they know exactly what you want them to do. It's easy, it's brainless, and they know exactly what it is you're asking them to do. That's a good point because sometimes we think that we had a good call to action, right? But it's muddy. It's not really certain what we're supposed to do. We're giving the prospects way too much credit, <laughs> right? <laughs> or, or maybe ourselves, we're giving way too much credit. Usually it's a little bit of both. Another reason why it's important to get somebody to evaluate your presentation, right? And, and ask them the question, what did I want you to do at the end of this, right? And, and so that call to action has to be clear, concise, and laced with logic and emotion for somebody to get up off the couch and take their wallet out. It's as simple as that. And make sure you have it. Don't expect them to just hear the facts and make a conclusion on their own. You're giving them way too much credit. And don't you dare change demeanor. This is a big complaint as I interview people that are in the audience that you are fun and go lucky, happy people person, presenter person, <laughs> if I can say that. But when you got into the clothes, you got nervous and tense and uneasy. You're like, oh, because inside you're, oh, this is where I asked for the money. And, and you've changed demeanor. And I'm telling you, it freaks them out. You're closing the whole time. And your presentation should point to that. And you should realize that you shouldn't change demeanor. Even though you don't mean to, you are. But be prepared. You've practiced. You know your whole presentation. You're persuading the whole time. And the call to action, that's where you get paid. That should be the exciting part for you as a presenter. Good, good. What else should uh, we keep in mind as a presentation blunder? Let's give one more. We could give a huge list, but this is a big one that presenters love technology. They love their PowerPoint, but your audience hates it. They can read the screen just as well as you can while you're reading it to them. Now, on the flip side, as a presenter, oh, it's nice to have the notes and the quotes, and you don't have to, it's less stress. It's all right there. You don't have to remember that much, but I'm telling you, way too many slides, way too much movement, way too much technology. 
the PowerPoint becomes a presentation and it's not very persuasive and you get lost in the whole presentation. I have a couple of comments about that too, because I've noticed that there certainly is a time and place for a good PowerPoint presentation. How many times have you seen though, that people are too busy trying to scribble down every single word on the stupid PowerPoint and they're not even listening to what you're saying because they think that they're going to go diligently review all of those notes when they're all going to go in the trash. <laughs> okay. Mm. People use it as a crutch and then people don't end up listening to your actual presentation. So I think the PowerPoint is much more useful for making emotional points, right? You use it very effectively with like a cartoon or a video or a graph or, or something that just makes a point, but isn't the center of the presentation. That should be you, the presenter. And that's my first naggy tangent that I wanted to go on with. <laughs> well, that's so true. Again, as presenters, they want to put everything on there so they don't forget anything, but you haven't connected with the audience. You haven't built trust. So a few things with PowerPoint, if you have to use it. I don't like it for short presentations, but if I'm giving an eight-hour or a two-, three-day presentation, I went to Dubai, I had two, three screens going, different languages. We had to. But here's kind of a, a safety tip, I guess. If you're going to use a slide, no more than two or three bullets, and each bullet should, shouldn't be more than three or four words. Just simple, succinct, so they can write it down real fast. Make sure there's points where you can put in a black slide. And what that does is that kind of blanks out the projector to where now you're the presentation again, to where you're telling that story. Don't have it shining during that story, during that moment, maybe during that important point where you're really connecting or building the trust with the audience. You can use it sparingly. It's still there. There's other things you can do to remember where you need to go with your presentation, but be careful with that. And, and the other last thing with that, too, is make sure you don't dim the audience lights too much. I would rather have the PowerPoint hard to read and have light on your face than have it dim and have shadows on your face, which is going to reduce your credibility. Okay, okay. So here's a curveball for you. Okay, go. Just saying to the people, hey, I'm going to make the PowerPoints available to you at the end, so don't worry. Right, Just take the notes that resonate with you the most, that you need the most. Does that get you the focus you need from the audience at the expense of your call to action? Because they think they're going to get all the stuff and they don't need to do what you wanted to do. Well, you'd have to inoculate them and let them know that, yeah, you're taking notes, but they're going to end up on a shelf somewhere or in the trash. But for a lot of people, that does let, just get them to listen. Some people are skilled to take notes. I like sometimes filling the blanks or having some note cards where they can. it makes it easier for them to take notes. But it depends on the type of the presentation. I've seen, especially those hardcore persuasive speakers, half of them like to hand it out and have the note cards. Half of them want it to be a surprise at the very end where there's slides they couldn't write down. I know some famous marketing people that make sure they go so fast that people can't write some things down so it's unfinished. They need that information. Of course, that's going to be in their magic kit. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, there's a side blunder here that we haven't talked about. Guys, make sure your technology works and you're not the idiot that it's your turn to present and you're up there, oh, and you can't open the file and your clicker doesn't work. That stuff's got to be worked out beforehand. I can't believe I'm explaining this, but how many times have you seen this, Kurt? I mean, does anything let the air out of the balloon faster than a guy fumbling around with his laptop? It just sucks the life out of the audience and they're going to blame you even though it might not be your fault. And let me supersize that a little bit expect your technology not to work, the projector to blow up, something to happen. You need to be ready to roll if it doesn't work because you can't just sit there and fumble all day. Make sure you've printed out your PowerPoint, you have an extra set of notes you always travel with, whatever you need to do because you might have a couple minutes to fumble around. After that, you've got to go. Your audience expects you to go or you've lost all that money 
that and time you've invested to speak to that audience. Yep. Yep. I agree. I agree. So that was four solid uh, blunders that you need to avoid. So technology, right? Call to action, emotion and logic. And I sound just horrible. What was the first one? I'm having a blank here. Oh man, that's hurtful. Yeah. That distracting is. mannerisms. Uh, <laughs> okay, good. Those, or distracting mental functions, I guess we can call Yes. Them. A lapsing mental capacity. <laughs> I'll be wandering around on the street later today if you want to come pick me up. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Let me put the <laughs> GPS tracker on you. You better, you better. So <laughs> Those are the three blunders that you want to avoid. So make sure you go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com. You'll check on episode 72. It'll be the first one listed there, depending on when you listen to this episode of the podcast. Just click that episode, and it'll bring up a little summary of the episode, and we'll have the link there for you to load in your video file or your audio file, whatever it is that you want to do. And we will, totally, free of charge, critique your presentation for you, and whoever has the best one gets a full year of universityofpersuasion.com. And here's here's a fun one, Kurt, and we're going to leave this open-ended. The worst presentation will also get a prize. <laughs> we won't name names, but yeah, we'll give you just for trying. And the reason we want to do that is, you know, that's great. Put yourself out there. You might know you're not the best, but hey, get some great feedback, help out, improve a little bit. It'll make a big difference. Yeah, and we're going to leave that open-ended as to what the prize is because I kind of think that if we establish it, everybody's going to just send in this crappy stuff and try to be the worst they can. So at the risk of what if the prize is really crappy, right? Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, I mean, it might not be a good prize. So <laughs> you're taking right. that risk. <laughs> there you go. Yep, <laughs> yep. All right, everybody, as usual, thank you for listening to Maximize Your Influence. We'll have another episode for you next week. You can listen to us through iTunes. Please subscribe. If you've got a, an Apple device, you can go into the iTunes store, type in podcasts and Maximize Your Influence, and we'll pop up. You can click subscribe. And also on Stitcher Radio, we're available, as well as BlackBerry and Windows uh, marketplaces. I don't even know if BlackBerry has a, a thing anymore. I mean, didn't they go out of business? Not in Canada, but I'm not sure what. They might have got bought out. Oh, okay. Well, there you have it. I have a iPhone 6 Plus, by the way, now. And it gets a lot of comments from people. Hey, do you like the 6 Plus? Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> it's awesome. Don't, don't have to think about that one. Yeah, that's Yes, right. I do. Yes, I do. So, all right, everybody. And send us your feedback, as always, to MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. Your, your comments, your questions, your compliments, your insults for me. That Kurt doesn't warrant any insults, at least today. Although he did bring up something about seagulls and hot dogs. <laughs> yeah, no points for that. No points. <laughs> I award you no points. So that's it, everybody. We will catch you next week on another episode of Maximize Your Influence. See you next week. 